0: If you hear the dogs, keep going. If you see the torches in the woods, keep going. If they're shouting after you, keep going. Don't ever stop, keep going. If you want a taste of freedom, keep going. This was Harriet Tubman, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. Born Araminta Minty Ross, to enslaved parents. Many enslaved people in the US don't have an exact year or place of their birth and Harriet was no different. Her death cert would state year born as 1815 while on her gravestone it states 1820. Most go with 1820 as the year of her birth. Her grandmother on her mother's side named Modesta Arrived from Africa on a slave ship to the U.S., Harriet's mother was a cook for the Brodess family, and her father, a skilled woodsman, that managed timber work on the Thompsons family plantation. Court records show they married in 1808 and had nine children. Harriet's mother struggled to keep her family together. The Brodess sold three of Harriet's sisters, splitting the family forever. A trader from Georgia would offer the Brodess money for Harriet's youngest sibling Moses. Harriet's mother would hide Moses for over a month with help from other enslaved people and the free community. Her mother would even speak to the owner about the sale to try to spare Moses. Eventually the Brodess and this Georgian man would enter the slave quarters to take Moses. Harriet's mother would threaten the men, stating, you are after my son, but the first man that comes into my house, I will split his head open. Not wanting to tempt fate, the men backed off. This moment of defiance, many believed influenced Harriet, and her beliefs that resistance could possibly bring about change. Harriet's mother would go on to work in the big house, making her less available to her family, so Harriet would mind her younger siblings. When Harriet was about six, the Brodes took her in as a nursemaid. Harriet had to care for the Brodess baby, rocked the cradle to soothe. When the baby woke and cried, Harriet was punished with whipping. One day she was whipped five times before breakfast. That's how much punishment Harriet received. Harriet would run away for days at a time, to avoid the whipping. She also was known to wear extra layers of clothing to dull the whip, and even known to fight back. When she was a little older, she worked at the home of Planter James Cook. Her job here was to check muskrat traps in the marshes. She had to do this job even when she had the measles. Becoming so ill, Harriet was sent back to the Brodess Her mother would care, tend and nurse her back to health. Once better, she was hired out again. Harriet got older and stronger and was sent to the field and forest to work, driving oxen, ploughing and hauling logs. As a teen, Harriet suffered a tragic head injury. A two pound metal weight was thrown at an enslaved person who was trying to flee. The weight missed the fleeing person and hit Harriet. She lay bleeding and unconscious. She was returned to the owner's home where she lay on a seat of a loom. She remained there for two days with no medical care. After this, Harriet would have ongoing extremely painful headaches. She would have seizures and fall unconscious, which she claimed she was aware of her surroundings even though she looked asleep. She would have this condition for the rest of her life. Some suggest she may have suffered from temporal lobe epilepsy stemming from this injury. From the injury, Harriet experienced visions and vivid dreams, all of which Harriet said were revelations from God. These would have a profound effect on her and would strengthen her faith in God. Harriet couldn't read what was told Bible stories by her mother. She would reject teachings of the New Testament that would say slaves to be obedient, but she did find guidance in the Old Testament. Anthony Thompson was Harriet's father's owner. He promised Harriet's father freedom known as manumit, when he reached 45. Now Thompson died before this, and his son would take on the slaves, but he did keep his father's promise. In 1840, her father was free. Harriet's father would keep working for the family. Years on, Harriet would get an attorney to look into her mother's legal status. He found instructions that Harriet's mother was to be manumitted at 45, just like her father. The instructions also showed any children, and their children, would all be legally free at 45. But the families who owned her mother and siblings, the Brodes and Pattisons, all ignored these instructions. To challenge this legally was far too much of cost and pretty much impossible to win. In 1844, Harriet married a free African-American named John Tubman. Very little is known about John and their union was complicated because of Harriet's slave status. Because of her mother's status it would mean any children of Harriet and John would also be enslaved. Marriages of free and slaved weren't uncommon in Maryland because at the time 50% of the black population were now free. Most of the African American families would have free and enslaved members. After the marriage is when Harriet changed her name from Araminta to Harriet. It's believed she changed it as plan to escape, but this isn't for sure. 1849, Harriet became sick again, making her unable to work. So she was pointless as a slave. The Brodess would try to sell her off, but couldn't find a buyer. Harriet was angry at this and angry at the fact her relatives were still being enslaved. So Harriet would pray to God for the Brodest to see sense and change. But this didn't happen, and a sale for Harriet began. So Harriet changed her prayers to say kill him, so he would be out of the way. A week later, Mr. Brodest dropped dead. Now because of this death, it increased the likelihood Harriet and her family would be sold the widow protest began organising sales of the family slaves. Harriet wasn't going to sit by and wait for others to decide her fate. She decided to take things into her own hands, which was against her husband's advice. September 17, 1849, Harriet and two of her brothers escaped. It's likely that the widow didn't notice them missing because at the time they were hired out. However, it was eventually noticed, and two weeks on, she would post a runaway notice for them with a reward of $100 on each of them to be returned. Harriet's brothers had second thoughts once they escaped, and would return, making Harriet go with them. Harriet escaped again, but this time without her brothers. She would try to get word to her mother. She sang a coded song to a fellow enslaved woman to give to her mother a farewell message. Harry would use the Underground Railroad. It was a well-organized system of free and enslaved blacks, white abolitionists and the other activists. It's thought she would have went to Quakers community, then along the Chop Tank River through Delaware and then north into Pennsylvania. The whole journey was done by foot, a total of 90 miles Taken between five t- days to three weeks. Harriet traveled by night using the North Star as the guide, trying to avoid slave catchers wanting the reward for fugitive slaves. The conductors of the Underground Railway would credit illusions of sorts, like having, in this case, Harriet be seen sweeping outside a house to appear if she's working for the family. When night came, Harriet would be hidden in a cart and taken to the next welcoming home. Harriet's journey isn't exactly known and she wouldn't talk much about it until many years later. When Harriet reached Philadelphia, she started working odd jobs in the bid to save money. Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Law in 1850. This law would have anyone helping an escaped slave heavenly punished. Law officials even in states that outlawed slavery had to capture fugitives and those assisting. Racial tensions would become heated as waves of poor immigrating Irish families, probably from the famine, had to compete with free blacks for work. December 1850, Harriet heard of her niece, Keshia, and her children being sold in Cambridge. So Harry went to Baltimore and hid with Tom Tubman, her brother-in-law, until the sale happened. Keshia's husband, a free black man named John Booley, was able to make the bid to secure his wife. When the auctioneer went to lunch, John, Keshia and the kids fled to a nearby safe house. That night, they sailed in a canoe 60 miles to Baltimore. Harriet met them here and took them on to Philadelphia. The following year, Harriet went back to Maryland and helped more family members escape. It's believed Harriet worked with abolitionist Thomas Garrett. Word would come of her exploits, which would encourage her family. With every return visit, Harriet grew more confident in what she was doing. Late 1851, Harriet returned to Dorchester County to find her husband John. She worked and saved to buy him a new suit, but John, he had remarried another woman. Harriet would message for him to join her, but John was happy and content with what he had. Infuriated, Harriet was going to storm the house, causing a scene, but decided not to believing that John wasn't worth it. So instead, she used the anger as fuel and found some enslaved people wanting to escape, so she led them to Philadelphia. With the fugitive slave law, the north was far too dangerous, so many began migrating to southern Ontario. December 1851, Harriet helped a group of fugitives there is evidence that this group, with Harriet, stopped at abolitionist Frederick Douglass's home. Frederick and Harriet admired each other greatly. Over the next 11 years, Harriet would return over and over to Maryland, rescuing 70 slaves over 13 trips, including her brothers with their wives and some of their children. She would also help another 60 fugitives with instructions to escape north. Because of all this, she would be called Moses after the prophet who led the Hebrews to freedom from Egypt. Harriet's last mission to Maryland was to get her parents. Her father who was free managed to buy her mother in 1855 from the Brodes. But even free, the area was hostile to their presence. Harriet got word that her father was going to be arrested for hiding a group of escaped slaves. Harriet went and led them all to Ontario where a community of former slaves had gathered. Harriet's work was extremely dangerous and required smarts. Harriet worked winter months to limit the likelihood of groups being seen. She would arrange escapes on Saturday evenings Newspapers wouldn't print notices for runaways until Monday morning. She was at high risk and would use tactics to avoid being caught. Once she wore a bonnet and carried two live chickens to look like she was running errands. Her fate was an important resource during these journeys. The visions from her injuries continued and she taught them as divine premonitions. She would, in her own words, consult God and trusted he would keep her safe. She used spirituals as coded messages, warning of danger or signalling a clear path. Harriet carried a revolver and would use it if she had to. She used it as protection against slave hunters and their dogs, but also against escaped slaves if one would turn back, threatening the safety of the others. Harriet spoke once of a man wanted to return to a plantation. Harriet pointed a gun at him and said, "You go on or you die." Days later, he was with the group in Canada. Slaveholders in the area began to suspect northern white abolitionists was secretly enticing slaves away. A legend lingers today of a reward of40,000. dollars or $1.1 million today for Harriet's capture. Despite efforts of slaveholders, Harriet and the fugitives were never captured. April 1858, Harriet met John Brown, an abolitionist who advocated violence in a bid to destroy slavery in the US. Harriet didn't want violence against whites, but agreed with John's line of action and supported his goals. Like Harriet, John spoke about being called by God and believed in being protected from the slaveholders' wrath. Harriet would claim visions of meeting Brown before they actually met. John Brown began recruiting supporters for an attack and was joined by Harriet or General Tubman as John called her. Harriet's knowledge, support networks and researches were very important to John and his plans. Other abolitionists weren't as keen on John's tactics. John seen his plans fighting to create a new state for freed slaves. So John made preparations for military action. John believed slaves would rise up and carry out a rebellion across all slave states he asked Harriet to gather former slaves who would be willing to join and fight. May 8, 1858, John held a meeting in Ontario, unveiling his plans for a raid in Virginia. This plan was leaked to the government, so John put the plan on hold. He now began ri- raising funds. Harriet helped in this effort. Harriet would give talks at this time to abolitionist audience and helped her relatives escape. Late 1859, John and his men prepared an attack, but they couldn't get a hold of Harriet. October 16th, a raid on Harper's Ferry happened, without Harriet. It's believed that Harriet took ill with a fever, although others think she was out recruiting. Anyway, the raid failed. John Brown was convicted of treason, murder, and inciting the slave rebellion. December 2nd, John was hung for these charges. Many abolitionists saw John as a proud symbol of resistance. Harriet would say he he did more by dying than a hundred men would do by living. So in 1859 William Stewart, abolitionist and Republican US senator, sold Harriet a piece of land near Auburn, New York, for $1,200, which is about $35,000 today. Harriet took it with no questions asked. Returning to the US would be risky with the Fugitive Slave Law, but Harriet still wanted to do it. This land would be a haven to her family and friends. Over the years, she took in relatives, boarders, it was a safe place for black Americans looking for a better life in the north. After this, Harriet went to Maryland, returning with an eight year old light skinned black girl named Margaret. Harriet would claim that she was her niece. Now, this is where it gets a little weird. Margaret's parents were free blacks. Margaret left behind a twin brother and her parents. Years later, Margaret's daughter, Alice, would claim Margaret was kidnapped, taken from a warm, good home to a place where nobody cared. There's also a myth that Margaret was Harriet's daughter. There was a bond, unusually strong for strangers, and people would say Harriet, knowing the pain of a split family, would never intentionally do so. There was also physical similarities with them. There's no concrete evidence that they were a daughter and mother, so the relationship remains a mystery today. November 1860, Harriet conducted her last rescue mission. During 1850s, Harriet's aim was to rescue her sister Rachel and her children. But Harriet would find out Rachel had sadly died. The children were for sale for $30 or $860 today. Harry hadn't a penny, so the children remained enslaved. Not wanting to waste a trip, Harry had gathered a group to help escape, including a family called the Enals. It would take them weeks to get to safety because slave hunters forced them to hide longer. The weather was bitterly cold and food was next to none. The children were drugged to keep them quiet as slave patrols passed. December 28, 1860, they reached safety at David and Martha Wright's home. 1861, the Civil War broke out. Harriet would see a Union win as a huge step towards the abolition of slavery. General Benjamin Butler would be involved. He helped slaves escape to Fort Monroe, Virginia. Butler would call the fugitives contraband, properly seized by the North and put them to work, first I pay in the fort. Harriet wanted to offer her expertise and skills to the Union. She would join a group of Boston and Philadelphia abolitionists going to the Hilton Head, South Carolina. She would become common in the camps, especially Port Royal, South Carolina, helping fugitives. Harriet met with General David Hunter, who also supported uh, the abolition. He would declare all contraband at Port Royal free, and he then started to get former slaves to join a regiment of black soldiers. Now, President Abraham Lincoln wasn't prepared to enforce emancipation on states in the South, so he reprimanded Hunter for his actions. Harriet wasn't impressed and would condemn Lincoln's response and his unwillingness to even consider ending slavery in the US. At Port Royal, Harriet served as a nurse. She would prepare remedies using local plants and caring for soldiers suffering from dysentery. She also cared for soldiers with smallpox without ever contracting the disease herself. This would add to the rumours she was indeed blessed by God. In the beginning, she would get government rations for this work, but tensions began amongst the newly freed blacks that she was getting special treatments. To avoid the growing tension, she would give up these supplies. Instead, she made money selling pies and root beer that she made in the evenings. Lincoln would issue an Emancipation Proclamation, which changed the legal status of 3.5 million enslaved African-Americans in Confederate States from enslaved to free. As soon as a slave escaped the control of their owner, either by running away or through the advances of federal troops, The person was then permanently free. Harriet would see this as an important step towards liberating all black people from slavery. She would renew her support for a defeat of the Confederacy. In 1863, she led a band of scouts through the land around Port Royal. The marshes and rivers in South Carolina were similar to Maryland, so her knowledge was useful. Her group would work under the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, who would map the unfamiliar areas and explore its inhabitants. Later Harriet worked with a colonel named James Montgomery, helping and giving him key intelligence that led to the capture of Jacksonville. Later in the year, Harriet became the first woman to lead an armed assault in the Civil War. Montgomery, along with troops, would assault a collection of plantations along the River Comahy. Harriet would play a key advisor and help out in the raid. June 2, 1863. That morning, Harriet guided three steamboats around Confederate mines in the water, eventually landing on the shores. Once there, Union troops set fire to the plantations seizing thousands of dollars worth of food and supplies. Steamboats then sounded whistles, and this signaled to the slaves throughout the area that they were being liberated. Harriet said chaos would ensue, crowds would run towards the steamboats, women carrying steaming pots of food, pigs squealing in bags over men's shoulders, and babies hanging around their parents' necks. Owners would try to stop them, escaping with handguns and whips, but it was too chaotic to stop them. Confederate troops raced the area as steamboats packed full of slaves headed out to Beaufort. From the raid, more than 750 slaves were rescued. Harriet would go on to work with Colonel Robert Gould Shaw at the assault of Fort Wayne. For two more years, Harriet worked for Union forces, Caring to the newly freed slaves, skating areas and nursing wounded soldiers. While doing all this, she would make trips home to check on her parents and family. Finally, the Confederacy surrendered April 1865. Months later, Harriet headed home. Discrimination wasn't dead though. While returning on the train in 1869, The conductor told Harriet to move into the baggage car. Harriet refused, producing government papers which entitled her to ride in the area she was in. The conductor was furious, cursed at her and grabbed her. Harriet resisted, calling for help. Eventually she was pulled free, but broke her arm in the ordeal. She was then thrown into the baggage, causing more injuries. While it happened, white passengers also cursed at her and demanded that she be kicked off the train. This defiance was a historical symbol, later being quoted when Rosa Parks took her stand in 1955. Harriet would never receive a regular wage and was for years denied compensation. With her unofficial status and unequal pay offered to black soldiers, It caused difficulty documenting her service. The US government was slow in recognising its debt to her. Her constant humanitarian work, helping her family and former slaves would have her low or without money. Her remaining years was in Auburn, helping her family and others in need. She worked odd jobs to support her elderly parents and took in boarders to help pay the bills. One such lodger was Nelson Charles Davis. He would work as a bricklayer and they soon fell in love. 22 years her junior, the pair married March 18, 1869. They adopted a baby girl they named Gertie in 1874 and lived together as a family until Nelson died October 1888 from TB. Harriet's friends and supporters would continue to raise funds to help her. In 1873, Harriet was scammed involving a a transfer of gold. Two men would claim to have a cache of gold smuggled out of South Carolina. They offered this for $2,000 cash. The men insisted they knew her relatives, so she took them in and they stayed for a few days. Harriet was aware white people buried valuables when Union forces hit the area. She also knew black men were usually assigned digging duties, so the story made sense to her. She would borrow money from a friend and arrange to collect the gold late one night. The men lured her into the woods, attacked her, knocked her out with chloroform. They stole her purse, bound and gagged her, She would later be found by family. She would be dazed, confused, injured, with all her money gone. Outcry would come. The incident refreshed her image and services among the public. At the Senate, a call came to reimburse her, but it didn't pass. Harriet, after many documents and letters, was granted a monthly widow's pension, plus a lump sum to cover the five-year delay in approval. February 1889, she would get $20 per month, $8 widow and $12 service as a nurse, but it wouldn't take into account her scout and spy aid. In her elderly years, she worked on the cause women's suffrage, meeting the likes of Susan B. Anthony. She would travel to New York, Boston and Washington DC to speak on women's rights. She would also be involved in the National Federation of Afro-American Women. As she aged, the seizures and headaches continued. In 1890s, she underwent a brain surgery. Allegedly, she had no anaesthesia, choosing to bite down on a bullet during the procedure as she had seen it done to soldiers in the Civil War who had to get limb amputations. By 1911 she was so frail that she was admitted into a rest home. She died of pneumonia surrounded by family on March 10, 1913. Her last words to those in the room was, I go to prepare a place for you. After she died she became an American icon. She inspired generations of African Americans struggling for equality and civil rights. She is praised by leaders across the political spectrum. Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. Harriet Tubman. Thank you all for listening. Next time I'll be talking about The Manoa Mining Disaster. Happened on December 6, 1907. It is said to be the worst mining disaster in American history. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.